Show. This is an exit interview edition. One of our favorite college football voices. He's leaving us. Now, he's not going far. He's going to be calling Major League Baseball, and you'll be able to hear him this weekend on the Brewers and the Cubs. He's going to call the NFL. He's going to call college hoops. It's Adam Amin. You know him from ESPN, but now he has moved on to Fox Sports, and he's got a bunch of new assignments, but he is still a giant college football nerd. Like me, a fellow verballer, a listener to the Solid Verbal Podcast, which is the, the OG college football podcast. <laughs> That's right. And, and Adam, I, I got to thank you because you actually gave us at The Athletic a story idea this week. When, when Mac Brown mentioned the idea that, wait, you know, coaches are maybe going to test positive for COVID and have to quarantine for a couple of weeks during the season, what's going to happen? So Nicole Auerbach tweeted about that, and you tweeted out the scenario of, like an intern at Notre Dame finding out that he's now the head coach of Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, they're just all of a sudden, you know, 23-year-old first-year grad student, Jim, it's your turn. You're up. Here's the headset. And I, I, would, I would just crack up if that ended up being the case. Because, okay, one of the things that I love and I know you enjoy is getting stories when you go in for these meetings, right? When we're in the production room. Absolutely. Uh, production meetings. So we're hanging with, we're doing Memphis Navy last year. So we're talking with Mike Norvell and Ken Niamatololo. And Navy has obviously like a very specific signal set up that, as you would imagine, a military institution, probably- They are the Navy, yes. <laughs> for, for, I guess for lack of a better term, espionage-like tactics. Uh, is it, what is it, semaphore? Is that what that, that's called? The like flags? That. <laughs> yeah, like, or COINTELPRO, I don't know. Uh, so we're, we've got, and then we've got Memphis, right? Mike Norvell's got like a 20, 20 year old sophomore trying to help him out with signaling. They've got three interns that handle signaling in plays with all those signs and funny signals and play sheets and covering up. And you, you've seen all the methods and madness on the sidelines during games and timeouts to cover things up and all that. Uh, hilarious to think that it's like, yeah, Mike Norvell's got a multi-million jo- million dollar job at Memphis before he goes to FSU, and I'm just going to leave all this up to the 20-year-old who's got to handle all the signaling duties. It's great. Of course, sometimes that works out. That's like when, when Ruffin McNeil gets elevated to the, the interim head coach at Texas Tech when Mike Leach gets fired. He goes, hey, uh, you, you, the young guy coaching receivers, can you call plays for me? <laughs> oh, it's Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, turns out you're pretty good at this. Come to ECU with me. And that's where I first met both Ruffin and, and Lincoln. And I thought, I actually thought you were going to say when Ruffin, when Ruffin McNeil is named the interim coach at, and then you could have stopped right there and filled in any random school that Ruffin will end up at well, in the next 10 years. Right. Right now it's NC state. And, yep. and we did. So what we did is we wrote a story where Bruce Feldman, Max Olson, and I called a bunch of people and figured out who would be the interim coach at every Power 5 school if the coach had to quarantine. And NC State, Ruffin McNeil is not even an on-field position right now, but he's, he's Ruffin McNeil. Well, I'm he's in like there. The, Absolutely. the godfather of interim coaches. Absolutely. Nobody, nobody knows journeyman status more than Ruffin McNeil. He, that was always one of the things that stuck out with me when we chat with him. And, and he is one of the best guys to chat, chat with in, in college football. 
uh, is just how much connectivity he has. Like the branches of his coaching tree are uh, are as extended as anybody's in in the business. And then obviously we meet. I, I think I met. He was maybe 28, 29 at the time. Lincoln Riley in a really good ECU season. Shane Carden quarterback. Uh, Who's the, he had two really they, good they had, they, had a, they had a tight end who looked like he was a member of Leonard Skinner. <laughs> yeah, very long hair. He really he really leaned into the pirate thing, uh, I think, more than anything else. But, uh, but, yeah, like meeting Lincoln Riley at that time when he's a pup under under Ruffin McNeil and now seeing the success and, and the kind of stature he's got in college football, that's something that's uh, been fun to track the last 10 years. You're going to miss this, aren't you? A lot, of course. I mean – there's, there's something different, right? There, there's always something special about it. And I, I came to it, uh, and, and I, I listened to a little bit of your, your background, you know, Florida and everything, Andy. I, I, don't, I didn't have that. I didn't go to an S. Yeah, Val, Valparaiso doesn't have the swamp. Listen, now, let, let's not insult the integrity of Brown Field and the hornet's nest that is the Pioneer Football League, all right? The whole hey, I, I have nothing but respect <laughs> for the Pioneer Football League. If you got to play a, an FCS schedule with no scholarships, God bless you. <laughs> yeah, best of luck, man. So, uh, you know, we didn't have that that atmosphere. We were a college basketball school. I come from a pro sports town, which is part of the reason that I'm so happy to do what I get to do now is I'm, I'm immersed in the sports that I grew up in and have this emotional connectivity to. But I came into college football as just a as just an, a, a, an observer and eventually broadcaster and to kind of see why people I didn't I didn't grasp it right away why do people love this so much you know I remember Northwestern being really good in 96 uh with when Pat Fitzgerald was playing and and Gary Barnett who eventually became my radio partner for the Iron Bowl uh that kick six game uh he was coaching you have Darnell Autry in the backfield like I, I understood Northwestern was good I understood that the Rose Bowl was a big deal I knew who Keith Jackson was. I didn't have the emotional connectivity to it until I got thrown into it. And you start broadcasting it and learning it and going to these places and going to Knoxville and Gainesville and College Station and Eugene and Pullman and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of come to learn why this tapestry is so great. And there are so many entry points into being a part of it. So you were, what, 27 years old calling that, that kick six on the radio? I think I was 20, yeah, I was four, it was two years in, so like 26, yep. Wow. What, what, because that's, you're still fairly new to that experience of, of insane, crazy college football game. What is that like for you when they kick that ball and when it becomes obvious that, that Chris Davis is going to catch it? I... I remember the one second Nick Saban, you know, um, campaigning to get that extra second back on the clock, right? And Adam Griffith is a freshman, and Alabama, surprise, surprise, in the midst of this incredible run of success, still having those kicking problems that everybody is oh so familiar with now. Uh, they, they really stem back to the 2011, 2012, 2013 season. So here's Adam Griffith from 57. He's never tried a field goal this long. And I'm sitting there thinking, I guess we should probably be, probably be ready for something. And mind you, I come from Chicago. Devin Hester has done this however many times he's done it. Yes, so you've seen it. And what's what, uh, the, the, the late, great Rod Bramblett, who, who was calling the game on the Auburn radio network, he said it. He said, I guess he could return this if it, if it went short. 
yeah, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little side note on Rod in a second too. Like I, I you just kind of see, you see somebody drifting back, and you identify him on your board and go, okay, Chris Davis back to return. He's under the the crossbar to our right, and and then you get set up just just knowing that something may happen because already we've had a ninety nine yard touchdown in that game. AJ McCarron to Amari Cooper. Yep. Uh, we have the Sammy Coates play, uh, which is still the bane of defensive coordinators' existence to this day. The pot pass, the, the pot pass, the the no, the the lineman downfield, nothing, nothing of that sort. Still the bane of existence for these DCs. And now you're thinking Nick Saban's just lobbied for this extra second. This kid makes this field. It's got storybook written all over it, right? You're thinking, oh wow, freshman field goal kicker. They lobby for an extra second. He's going to win the Iron Bowl on, a, on an impossible kick. Or we go to overtime. Classic Iron Bowl. I couldn't have even, like, fathom, I couldn't fathom at that point, even though we're prepared for it, that, that, that Chris Davis is going to run it back. And then when he makes the play, when he catches the ball, and I still have it in my head, he makes the catch behind the E of the Tiger type. He runs it out to the 10, to the sideline, uh, to the near side 20, to the sideline 30. He's to the 40, and Gary Barnett starts punching me in my right shoulder. We're, stand- <laughs> we're standing on the photo deck. We're doing the game from the photo deck. We're the national radio crew. We're on the photo deck right in front of Auburn's booth. So I can hear Rod most of the broadcast, which is hilarious. And, and, I, and I absolutely adore Rod. We were great, great broadcast buddies, uh, you know, going back to that night and having that, you know, that, that connection with one another. Uh, when Gary Barnett starts punching me in the shoulder and going, Oh my God. And like, just yell, like you can tell he's freaking out and I'm trying to keep my voice. And cause I see there's an alley and there's a lot of real estate and there's a lot of big, slow guys for Alabama's <laughs> field goal unit. <laughs> trying to- has Rod art has Rod already started saying Auburn's going to win the football game. He, I can hear him after Gary punched me <laughs> and yelled out, Oh my God, the first time. I heard Rod saying they're going to win. And then I'm trying to make my own call. He's to the 40. And I'm doing the typical countdown 30, 20, 10, uh, because that's muscle memory at that point, because I have no semblance to describe this moment with greater detail in, in the moment itself, because you're so shocked that something like this has happened. So you go back to your instincts of he's to the 40, to the 30, trying to work it, you know, work the picture down towards the end zone. And my voice is going and my voice is cracked and it cracked pretty badly at the end of that call. And I remember screaming, unbelievable, Chris Davis, 109 yards. Like it's just my <laughs> <laughs> Well, to, In your defense, you were very close to puberty at that at point. At that point, I, I was very childlike uh, at that point in my career as well. So it makes sense. But I, I mean... I, I, I called it one of the greatest plays you'll ever see in football history. And I, I, I yelled that in that moment. That was my emphatic call. I thought it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen in my life at that point. I, I never felt a rush of energy like that in my entire life. And, and again, I had been doing this professionally or at this level for two years at that point. I'm in my third year of calling football games but mind you, I had called four football games in my life when I got hired at ESPN. I, wow. I, I, had, I had very little football game experience as a broadcaster. I did a ton of baseball, ton of basketball, high school, college, otherwise. And I was very fresh at doing football games. But I had done the NFL 
the, the, the season prior. I was doing the NFL earlier that year. I was not a college football broadcaster for that network. It was Sports USA Radio. I wasn't even a college broadcaster for them. I was an NFL guy for them. And that one weekend, that it was Thanksgiving weekend, my boss had asked me, you know, a couple of weekends out, he had said, hey, I know I have you slated for an NFL game, but John, who was one of the other play-by-play guys, he's got a, uh, an event in, and we have a football game in LA and he could just do that would you be okay taking his college game? And I'm like, I'm not doing college football for ESPN at that point either, mind you. I'm doing high school games. So I'm jumping at the chance to do an Iron Bowl, and maybe the it's game a, might be good. Like, it might have – A little s- step up from Corona Centennial in modern day. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of great talent out at, at, at uh, you know, St. Paul out in Minnesota – but this is, this is big-time football we're talking about. And as the game gets closer and closer, the rankings and, you know, keep going higher and higher, and now it's one and four. And mind you, this is still the BCS era. These guys are – I mean, you know, there's a path, clear-cut path to the championship game for these two teams. Obviously, Auburn got there. But you start to understand, oh, there is, this is different. This is going to be different. So already there's all this hype surrounding this game that I wasn't supposed to do in the first place. And here we go. I'm just going to jump in and do this game. My spotter couldn't make it. You know, the spotter is the person, the person who. Did you have no spotter or did did you pull an intern out of the crowd? I had uh, our uh, producer's buddy who happened to have a pass just became my spotter. And I looked at him before the game and I was like, listen, man, I know you're in a tough spot. We're both, we're both going to try to get through this. If you know it for sure, point it out. And if you're not a hundred percent, do not worry about it. Just don't, do me wrong. That's all. And Marshall, uh, a, a super kind soul, probably just kept on drinking his whiskey out of the flask for most of the game, and that is perfectly fine. We we got through it with no with no issue. And I just remember that that day being uh, an energy rush that I had never felt before. I took a photo with Rod after the game. I gave him a hug afterwards. You know, we were reminiscing about that. You know, that was one of the first memories I really had with Rod. And uh, I still have the photo uh, to, to commemorate that night with him. And that photo's on my wall in my office. So. But before Rod passed, I, I talked to him about that call. And he said the, the biggest thrill he got after the call was every time he'd be standing in the grocery store or waiting to pay at the gas station or something like that. And all of a sudden, he'd hear his voice come out of somebody's phone. Yeah. Because so many people had made it their ringtone. Yeah. What an honor, huh? Well, and and as, just as a play-by-play announcer, what an honor that is! That is, uh, that is a that that's a level of connection that is harder and harder to come by, and is going to continue to be harder and harder to come by as time goes on, because the well, way we, we, we the way we broadcast is going to change. The turnover is going to get higher with people moving jobs, and and it's going to be harder to find somebody like that as the future goes on. You're going to be in that relationship with some people, though, because you're you're going to be the TV voice slash face of the Bulls starting next season. So, it, is that different? I mean, it, it, with when you're working with a team, is that more intimate than as, as you're moving from national broadcast to national broadcast? Um, uh, as you asked that question, I'm looking at a letter that I just got that's dated July 13th. I just got it in the mail today. And it's from somebody in Ohio, uh, a husband and wife in Ohio. And it's a letter that just says, first and foremost, congratulations on, a, on, on the Bulls gig. 
I want to make that very specific that it said doubles. Uh, we are so proud and happy for you. This is a person that I don't know very well. This is a person that I've met once. It's a fan from Ohio that took it upon himself to write a letter. And in the letter, he describes, you know, reading about my connectivity to, to this city and to the teams that I, I care about. And in it, he describes his fandom and left a photo of Jerry Sloan, the late Jerry Sloan. And it's this incredible black and white photo of one of the great bulls of all time. Does it just say Jerry Sloan will kick your ass yeah. from heaven if you screw this up? <laughs> yes, essentially. And also on the back, it says, I didn't know he was sick. I, I, I that's that's the uh, reference to him in the after the, the Michael oh, yeah, with flu the, game. The Michael Jordan flu game. It's exactly. Like, did, it's like, did anybody else anybody know he was sick? Because I'm just hearing about it for the first time. Um, he was one of the toughest, toughest dudes ever in the NBA, like just one of the straight up toughest guys to play. And that's a significant person in the history of that franchise. And this fan felt compelled to go out of their way and say, I too, like you, am connected to this franchise. And I haven't, I'm not the voice of the Bulls, you know, like that to me is still. Right. That's the radio gig, but you're, you're doing the TV gig, which in, in our generation, that is just as important. It's the same. Yeah. I feel like it's the same connection. I, I grew up in Orlando. Uh, so the magic started the year that we moved to Orlando in 1989 and it was, it was Chip Carey yep. as the, the TV guy. And so he was the, my connection to the magic. Yeah. Because we didn't get, we couldn't afford to go to games. We we watched it on TV. So it was Chip Carry on Sunshine Network. And and that's that that's something that I take seriously. And again, I, I say that too. I'm not the voice of the Bulls yet because that I think I think the voice of the whatever in sports broadcasting, I think that's up to the fan to decide if that broadcaster gets to be deemed as such. So obviously I don't presume to be that in that sense, because to me, it's still Neil, you know, Neil Funk, he's still the man and he's still the guy I look up to in that job. But just to give you a sense of that, like I haven't become the, the voice of the bulls yet. This person still felt the, the desire to say, I too like you, I'm connected to it. And that's something you will never get in a national broadcast, in a national broadcasting role. And that's not the job. It, it's not meant to happen in that role. But in this role, it feels a lot different. You're 100% correct. What's that like as a Chicago kid? Because for, for those who don't know your story, you, you're, you're from Chicago. You were the first member of your family born in the States, right? Your, your yeah. parents and siblings had, had come from Pakistan, right? Yeah, all three of my brothers uh, had been born in Pakistan. I was born in late 86 in the States, a, about a year after uh, my entire family had joined my father in, uh, in Chicago. I mean, that's so you I, you're born in in the mid 80s so you are coming of age during the greatest time <laughs> to be a Chicago Bulls yeah. fan in the history of the world <laughs> yeah like what way to jump right at way to become spoiled like this is how Yankee fans who are now you know in their uh, you know in their in their mid-20s probably felt yeah you know they're, exactly. they're born during our you know one of the three greatest eras of you know major league baseball dynasties and they got to be a part of that growing up. That's how I felt as a Bulls fan. Man, that is spoiled. That is quite a legacy there. That's uh, that's going to be, but that will be so much fun. But then you've got the the rest of it. You've got the you're going to be doing NFL games on Fox. 
this weekend you got the Cubs and the Brewers. Now, how weird is it that that you get to help call the return of baseball in your hometown, but it will not be from Wrigley Field? Yeah, it's this is broadcasting in 2020, I guess, right? This is this is 2020, and and and, and listen, I I understand how weird it's got to sound for fans to go. What they're going to do virtual fans they're the guys aren't going to be on site listen it's it's as weird for us as it is for fans i think the goal here and this is the you have to go in with i think with this attitude is your you know your job is to be the conduit you're the liaison right regardless whether you're at the stadium or not when you're entrusted with this job your job is is as is as a liaison uh i can't be there at that game, I don't. I don't want to go to the game. I'm, I'm going to watch it at home. You are my conduit to the game itself, and that doesn't change regardless of the circumstances. And you know, Joe Buck, who's our, you know our lead announcer at Fox, said it. You know, in, you know earlier this week, he's like, fan, my his dad told him the same thing. Fans don't care if you had a good day, if you had a bad day, if you it was tough getting there that day, if you had a bad you know delayed flight, whatever. And obviously, you shift in these circumstances your language. Like they don't care that other stuff is going on. You're entrusted to do this job and they're chomping at the bit to watch it. And it's the same job as it is as usual. You are the liaison and conduit for a fan sitting on their couch, wanting to watch a sporting event. That's we talk about that a lot uh, on our side of the business too, is don't complain about your job. Don't complain about, if someone made it difficult for you to do your job, if, if somebody didn't call back for an interview, whatever it is, don't complain. Cause at the end of the day, you are still getting paid to talk or write about a game yeah, about football or baseball or basketball, or whatever it is. So everybody would trade. So stop complaining. Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right. Joe Buck, very, very wise. And, and I guess that comes from Jack Buck too. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty a, good. He had a pretty good teacher in that regard. And, and that's what's, it's what's cool about having somebody like that, you know, like Joe, Joe and I have a, a very cool relationship and he's always been great to me. It's, it's nice to have that as a lead. Like, I don't know what I'm doing going into this. It's a network debut. It's a company debut. It's a season debut. We're two games into the season at this point. A lot of people I imagine would be tuning in because if nothing else for the curiosity factor, just to see how this is going to be I done. I want to see some virtual fans. All, all I, I, yeah. All, can I make a request as a Fox viewer? Please. Can all the virtual fans be Cletus the robot? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, so it's just robots. It's just well, yeah, all well, robots. If we have the ability. I mean, I would just say, hey, pick a group, pick a, pick pick some kind of cartoon, throw that in there in the fourth inning. You want to just go Smurfs for the entire seventh? Let's do it. You know, after the stretch, <laughs> we'll just do characters from, you know. Family ties, yeah. Let's do that. Just a bunch of Michael J. J. Fox. I I feel like there's a way to make fun of Cardinals fans in this. Like every <laughs> virtual fan is wearing a sweater vest as a member of the greatest very, fans in the in the universe. Very I, I'm using sarcastically, what, of course. What's so specific to every MLB city, and that's what the fans will will be made. Like <laughs> they're, they're throwing virtual toasted ravioli on the field. It's like it's, if you go to if you go to Comerica Park, it is just very specific Detroit style pizzas as fans. That's it. <laughs> everybody, everybody's throwing square pizza slices, yes. and they're all dressed like Magnum PI. Thick crusted, yeah, thick crusted deep dish square pizzas. I, 
I can get behind this. Oh, I do. I, you, I, you don't I, have an issue. With, I don't have an issue with Detroit pizza. I think people are under the assumption that when you're from Chicago, no, Detroit pizza is fantastic. Detroit pizza is great. I like. It's just different. Like it's it, it's meant to be what it is, and you appreciate it for what it is. Well, okay. So here's the thing that people don't get about Chicago either: that there's different types of Chicago. Yes, deep thank dish. you. See, the, the, and, and the, I knew I didn't have to. I, I'd be preaching to the choir if I talked about this. Yeah. With you, with you. Well, and that's not the same food group as New York style pizza, anyway. Of course not. They're, they're two different food groups. But okay, so if I'm picking pizza in Chicago, I'm going Pequod's first. That style speaks to me. The caramelized crust. They go. They go really. Mm-hmm. They go a little bit deeper, almost with the crust. If they, they can, they have the ability to go even deeper. Yeah, and you're not. You're not using it as a a vessel for sauce. It's not a sauce bowl. There's sauces under the cheese and with the toppings, which is more like what everyone in the rest of the country is used to. Yeah, and and again with the rest of the deep dish because Pequod's is a very specific deep dish style pizza. You got your big three. You know your your Giordano's, your Malnati's, your Gino's East. I think the sauces are, are very different in all three. See, I, I would go Malnati's out of the out of the kind of classic Chicago places. Yeah, I think I think Malnati's probably stands at the top of the best overall pie, you know, taste for pie. I like the sausage Giordano's. I was, you know, that was the deep dish I grew up on. I like the crust at Gino's East more than the other two. And I like like you, Andy, I like Pequods. But but I eat deep dish the same amount of times as probably you do like i'm eating it maybe infrequently yeah yeah like four times that's a three or four time a year my buddy's in town to cover a game or or he's driving through chicago hey let's go let's go to melnati's and get deep dish like chicago style pizza is also as you were alluding to like square cut tavern cut pizza you know you have a round pie cut into square square pieces you get the corners you get the inside squares, like that's tavern style pizza. And that's the pizza that I was raised on. And that's really what most Chicagoans think of when you're thinking Chicago style pizza and, and deep dish is its own thing. Yeah, it, it is. It's really interesting because people in New York get very upset about that. That, But what I don't get is New Yorkers have their various styles too. I mean, Sicilian is nothing like the floppy slice shop. Absolutely. Pizza. It's not the same. But they're both great. You just have to kind of find where you like the where you like that style the best. Like you go to the Prince Street Pizza, which is right down the street from John's. If you go to John's, you're going to get those floppy slices. Now you can't buy them by the slice because they get very particular about that. Yep. But you go to Prince Street and you get the the Sicilian with the the pepperoni cups that not, kind of curl not, up. Is that do you do oil. the hot honey there too at Prince or no? Uh, hot honey, I I. That's a uh, Polly G's. That's what in, uh, in That's, Brooklyn. I was trying to remember yeah. where they had the, the Hellboy the spicy honey there. Oh, it's that is that is unbelievable. And that's more of a Neapolitan style pizza with the the. I don't, I don't know if it's pepperoni. It's not pepperoni. It may be prosciutto. Yeah, I know. But, I know. Especially and then they do the hot honey. They'll, they, you know, they'll throw in a really good prosciutto with a burrata as well. And and like that's where the Neapolitan style that I like the most is is the one where you get just like a really good piece of, of either a solid mo- like mozzarella or or a good burrata. And I think having that with a prosciutto is really strong. So you've gotten to see the the gamut of places between calling pro, pro games in these big cities and then you've called college games in these small towns. Where are your favorite eating towns? What have, we, what have you gone to and said, okay, 
I want to come back here and just eat. I, I'll give you obviously any SEC town for the most part. Like I love game. I love going to Gainesville now. You know, Satchel's Pizza in Gainesville, I love. Going going to Little Dewey's is a staple in Starkville. Well, we, we're going to get you off a Little Dewey. Well, when I'm, we get you back I in like, college football, we'll get you to Petty's. I, I like going to – and I like, you know, Tyler's, and I like the Veranda as well. I Actually, the place oh, yeah. I like to go to in Starkville is Stromboli's. I love Stromboli's, which is a spot that has these incredible cookie dough bites as the after uh, – you know, after treat. But they nice. have – you know, again, Stromboli's. It's like – it just – you know, the Italian pizza, pizza bread, essentially. And it's really well done. It's a quick meal. You get the cookie dough bites with that. Anyway, I'm, 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 I'm diving way off track here. Like your point being a, a lot of great SEC towns. I think one undervalued, underrated college town. And I highly recommend Boise, Idaho. I, I feel like. Obviously, the potato aspect of it, you know, you have a, a place where you're known for a particular food. You know, the food is going to feature, you know, the cuisine there is going to feature that food and it's probably going to be made well. So most potato things, potato dishes are going to be great. What I don't think people realize is how good the beef is and the level of creativity of a lot of these new restaurants that are popping up. It, go to Fork in Boise and get anything that says short rib next to it and any one of their cakes and, uh, you know, dirt for dessert and tell me that the, this isn't stuff that you would find in New York, LA, Chicago, you know, any metropolitan city around the country. It is really well done. Barbacoa, the way they do their, their flame, you know, rock grilled steaks, they set it on fire right in front of you. Like the level of uh, detail. I'm all for, I'm all for presentation. It's, that sounds fantastic. Great. And they, they really do a great, it's an underrated college eating town and it gives you a lot of goldies for breakfast the griddle for breakfast there's two different places to go to uh there's there's it's a really underrated college town for for the food experience and for the unique football experience that that is outstanding you also if you if you find yourself in moscow idaho covering something at the kibbe dome you you go to uh the breakfast club with these cinnamon roll pancakes and the uh you can't go wrong. My, my favorite season was 2017. And that was the year that I was with Dusty Dvorak and Molly McGrath. And we had what a crew that is. We had an absolute blast. We were super young. We were very, it was Friday night games. So we had two or three really big games actually. And just to put a bow on the earlier or earlier part of the conversation, uh, when we went to Pullman that year, we had number five USC on the road in Pullman. Washington State, I think, was 16th that year uh, or that week going in. Both are 5-0. and Friday night game, awesome, awesome night. And Washington State wins. They storm the field. And as if it were embedded in my head from four winters prior, Rod Bramblett yelling, they're not going to be able to keep them off the field tonight after Auburn beats Alabama, I set, I kind of channeled that. And it was my little homage to, to my buddy Rod, who's very much present at the time. It was 2017. Uh, I just remember thinking, like, I think, I, think, I think Rod will appreciate that one. And I'm, I was always glad that I got to use that when they started jumping the 33,000, you know, this 33,000-seat stadium. They started jumping the, the railing to get out of the field after they beat USC. That was the night Mike Leach uh, – said it was like Woodstock, except everybody has their clothes on. That was a fun night. So, <laughs> and there was no fireball left no, in about nary 16 a, counties. Nary a drop in, this, in Washington State. You could not find it after that, uh, so, that incredible night. I, 
Before I let you go, I have to ask you about one other Friday night experience, and it's probably the game I, I would imagine you get asked about quite a bit, and you were in Provo, Utah, and you're, you're doing a BYU game, and your broadcast partner, who we both know and love, Mac Brown, is like, gotta go! Yep. <laughs> we ate at Communal, by the way, in Provo, Utah the night before as well. Uh, Very nice. I'd also recommend that. And one last thing for Provo. My friend uh, Cameron True, Bam Bam's Barbecue in in Utah, outstanding barbecue joint. So that's for for all of you. Uh, that night, that week was weird because there weren't that. That was a bad week for slate of game. I don't think there were very many big games going on. If I'm not mistaken, that might have been the weekend that Louisville was playing Clemson. Right, Louisville's playing right. Clemson in that classic Watson versus Jackson game in death Valley, Louisville almost pulled it off. Clemson came out on top where we're that's the big game of the week. That's the Fowler Herbie game. We've got Stanford, Washington. That's a top 10 game Friday night. We're expecting to do it. That's because that's the second best game of the week, which is typical the ESPN and networks do this all the time. Hey, that's the second best game. We got to give that to our number two crew. Totally understandable. It just happened very quickly. Last minute, we get thrown onto this game in Provo that is now at a completely different time. The last flight out to get to the East Coast for Mac, as he had been doing all year, uh, to, you know, trying to catch the last flight out to get to studio on Saturday, 1.20 a.m. out of Salt Lake City. We've got a deadline time at like 11.50 you know, we kind of know that this might happen. This is a classic shootout of a game. We're thinking, all right, let's hope we get a blowout, maybe four or five minutes left to go. It's like 11.50, 11.55. We slip Mac out the back door. Nobody's the wiser. Instead, we get 21-21 in the first half. We get Jason oh, no. Candles' electric Toledo offense. You know, Kalani Sataki trying to make something happen with, with uh, you know, a young – with a veteran quarterback and this offense against this weird Toledo team out of the Mac Mac leaves with 11 minutes to go. Cause he's got to get out. Molly was outstanding on the sideline. I handled it as best as I could at the booth and we get a game winning field goal by Rhett Ullman as time expires after the coolest Logan Woodside two point conversion, maybe in the history of Logan Woodside two point conversions. And we had just an absolute classic that night. And it's a, a, an experience I don't want to recreate, but I'll certainly never forget. Well, hopefully when you're doing the Cubs and the Brewers, Eric Karros can make it through the entire game. This <laughs> that's the hope. That, and that's, that, that's, if that's the biggest challenge of, of doing this, I will 100% take it. Adam Amin, thank you so much. And good luck with, with the new gig. You, you've earned every bit of the success and, and, it's, we're going to miss you calling college football, but I have a feeling we'll see you back when you were just running the universe and you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do some college football today. I, I hope to cross paths with you sooner rather than later over one of these, uh, over, over a fine bale of one of these establishments that we've uh, been able to discuss. Or maybe a not so fine one, just as long as hey, it's, da, da, it's, hey, pizza's da, thick bar, and delicious. barbecue joint or a sweet taco stand or uh, a fancy five star, I'm happy to keep Andy Staples in the time. Thank you so much, Adam. Thanks, buddy.